Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Coming up next, it's headlines. Lots of headlines. Super Bowl-related Joe Paterno related, some new head coaches in the NFL. The Prince has a new contract. We'll tell you all about that. That's all coming up in headlines. Then we've got several guests on the show today. Russell Baxter from ProFootballGuru.com will join us to discuss the Super Bowl, Patriots and Giants. After that, it's Dan Wilson, former Major League Baseball catcher, former catcher for the Mariners. Did you know Dan Wilson, highest fielding percentage ever for a catcher, 9.95. He's going to be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame on July 28th with Randy Johnson. Dan Wilson will join us. Then Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com will stop by. We'll talk about that big contract with Prince Fielder. The winners and losers in the offseason who helped themselves the most in this offseason, we'll talk to Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com about that coming up in, what was that, segment five. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is SBR. Back with more after this. You know I dream in It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs for our headlines segment. Griggs, the Super Bowl is set. It's the Patriots and the Giants. I had said last week that's what I thought it would be. Uh, 
I like Eli Manning. I like Tom Brady. They were the two best quarterbacks remaining. You know, it's going to be fun to watch a rematch of the 2008 Super Bowl that came down to the end of the game. These two teams met earlier in the season when the Giants went into Foxborough and beat the Patriots in a close game. But it seems like every time they get together, there's a lot of close competition. And, uh, you know, as far as ratings go, I think this could be the most watched Super Bowl ever because you've got two big markets, New York and Boston, and you've got two very high-profile teams led by two very high-profile quarterbacks. And I think you hit on it there with the quarterbacks. I mean, people like high-profile quarterbacks. They like good players. Uh, And both these quarterbacks are, they bring it every game. There's always excitement. Um, They're fun to watch. Uh, They're great passers. So you're going to see some, you know, you're going to see some passing touchdowns, which is always fun. And uh, even Brady, like he he rushed for one in the uh, in the uh, championship game. So who knows? It's going to be an exciting game. I think it'll be fairly high scoring too. So it'll be fun. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, next week we'll have much more you much more for you on the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll talk about some of the Super Bowl parties uh, and some other things relating to the Super Bowl. The ads. That's all on our show next week. That's one of the things I don't like about the Super Bowl is I hate the two weeks in between the games. I just, you know what? There's momentum for both teams. I don't care about the Pro Bowl. Just give me the Super Bowl the following week. Yeah, what's the deal with the Pro Bowl? Who cares, really? I mean, it's a trip to Hawaii, basically. It's the most meaningless <laughs> of all of the quote unquote all star games, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, this was out of left field. Prince Fielder, we know he's been out on the free agent market. He signed a nine-year, $214 million deal with the Detroit Tigers, the same Detroit Tigers that his father Cecil played for. Now, Fielder's contract is interesting, Griggs. He's going to earn $23 million in each of his first two years with Detroit. Then he'll make $24 million annually in the final seven seasons of his $214 million nine-year contract. He's got some additional uh, incentives. $500,000 if he's the AL MVP, $200,000 if he's 2nd through 5th, and $100,000 if he's 6th through 10th. For each MVP he wins after his first, he gets a bonus of a million dollars. He also, and this is very important, gets a hotel suite on the road wherever the Tigers go. <laughs> that is key. you got to have the hotel suite. Uh, but yeah, hey, I'll take a million dollars bonus. That'd, that'd be nice. You know the cool thing about being rich is... The people who have money never have to spend the money. So, Prince Fielder, you're getting $214 million. (laughs) You can upgrade yourself to any hotel suite you want, but no. You say, all right, the team has to give me a hotel suite. I'm going to save that $214 and put it in my pocket. It's the same thing at restaurants. The celebrities, the athletes, they go to a restaurant. Hey, you're in my restaurant. It's on me. They can afford to pay for it more than you and I can, but we have to pay full boat if we go in. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about that before. It's like once you get to that that status in a celebrity uh, world, you basically don't have to pay for anything, yet you have enough money to just buy the whole restaurant if you want. Yeah. No, I I don't want that food. I'm just going to buy the whole restaurant. (laughs) Right. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Our next headline... Joe Paterno dead at the age of 85. He died in the wee hours of Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning. And so many layers to this story, we won't try and get to them today. But one of the things that was interesting, and it shows you the power of Twitter, is on Saturday, a Penn State student publication reported early, before Paterno had actually died, that he was dead. Then you had organizations, legitimate organizations like CBS, who picked up the Penn State publication tweets and news and tweeted it out as if it was Bible. 
Pretty surprising. You know, we're in Oregon, and we saw the same thing done with Chip Kelly. People misreported that was a done deal. He had been hired, that he was assembling his coaching staff with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That wasn't true. So, you know, Twitter, as I always say, it's like a loaded gun. You put something out there, and there's a lot of people that will take it as Bible. They'll run with it. We saw some, in my opinion, irresponsible journalism around the Joe Paterno death and the uh, Chip Kelly hiring with Tampa Bay, even though he wasn't hired with Tampa Bay. Griggs, it's kind of the Wild West out there. It really is, and Twitter's just become that medium where everybody believes everything that's on there. I mean, you think, oh, it's on Twitter, and people just, like you said, they run with it, and, oh, he's a journalist, it must be true. And we've seen, like you said, two examples this week of things that were, you know, not necessarily true 100% at the beginning, and then it, you know, it went to a whole other different story, either, different ways. The other thing is, I don't know that I've ever seen such an awkward situation. Penn State fired Joe Paterno. In disgrace, suddenly, in November, amidst all the allegations with Jerry Sandusky. Then, this past week, all the memorial services held on the campus of Penn State. He's hailed as an icon. So, real uncomfortable situation for them. Uncomfortable situation for the family. Um, You know, it's interesting. At the end of the day, I'll say this. I think Joe Paterno had a positive impact on many people as the coach at Penn State. I think he did many great works for a number of years. But... At the end of his life, it came to light that he did not report some allegedly horrific acts with children. And I guess the lesson to be learned here is, you know, we sometimes give the analogy, you got to play all four quarters of the game because you might lose if you don't play the full 48 minutes in basketball or whatever it may be. Joe Paterno here at the end of his life, there's a lot of people that will remember him more than his football career as a guy who didn't do what was morally right and, you know, I guess bring Jerry Sandusky and anyone else that needed to be brought to justice to justice. He did the minimum in a lot of people's minds. I don't think that that should uh, overshadow some of his other great works that he did. And you saw at the memorial service all of the Penn State players that were there, all those people that have gone on to terrific careers as doctors, lawyers, architects, musicians, and then they become good parents to their family. So there's a big legacy that Joe Paterno left. But because we live in a what have you done for me lately world, and this happened at the end of his life, there will be some people that judge Joe Paterno solely on the scandal at Penn State. And that's unfortunate for Joe Paterno. Yeah, it's crazy. I was just sitting here thinking about when you were talking, you know, just months ago, he's coaching Penn State on the field and all this happened so quickly. Right. You know, this thing came down, the story came down and then all of a sudden the, the cancer takes him. It's just it's crazy how quickly his life went from, you know, being Top notch, top of the, I mean, top of the world in in that university to, you know, dead like that's crazy. Yeah, and you know we saw the same thing with Bear Bryant as far as when his coaching career was done. It was only a few months later until he passed. I firmly believe with Bear Bryant and Joe Paterno. Look, these are guys that were so passionate about their craft, so passionate about coaching, and when that wasn't there for them anymore, I don't think they had quite the zest for life that they had when they were coaching. All right, our last headline of the week. There's several new NFL coaches this week. The Buccaneers didn't hire Chip Kelly. They did hire Rutgers coach Greg Schiano, though. The Colts hired Greg Pacano, the former uh, defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. And the Raiders hired former Broncos defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. So those are your new coaches in the NFL this week. All right, coming up next, we'll talk more NFL with Russell Baxter of Pro Football Guru. Com. Dan Wilson, former catcher for the Mariners, he'll stop by. And then Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. 
I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. And frankly scared as hell because I really fell for you. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Russell Baxter, our friend from ProFootballGuru.com. Russell, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm very excited about the Super Bowl coming up. I wish they didn't have a week in between where they played the Pro Bowl that no one cares about, but I'm really excited about uh, Giants and Pats. I think it's going to be a terrific matchup. Yeah, it is, and and it's slowly... uh... You know, over a little span of time here, we've, got, we've developed a little rivalry. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, what does, the, what does the Super Bowl have to do with this from four years ago? Well, you know, there's enough components there that there is something there. I mean, uh, if you remember the end of that season in 2007, uh, you know, the, the Patriots went into uh, Giant Stadium, you know, that, you know, since which is no longer there, you know, now moved into a new stadium. And capped off their 16 and 0 season with the 38-35 Saturday night win. Uh, then, of course, the Giants beat them in the in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, spoiling the undefeated season. And then go back to Week Nine of this year, when the Patriots were riding a 20 game uh, home regular season winning streak. And who comes in in the last minute and beats them again? Eli Manning with a touchdown pass. Uh, and the Patriots haven't lost a game since. They've won 10 in a row. So every time the Patriots seem to play the Giants, uh, they, they seem to be attached to some sort of long winning streak, and the Giants just keep on snapping them. Yeah, I mean, look, the two quarterbacks are back, Tom Brady and Eli Manning, and the two coaches are back, Coughlin and Belichick. So just from that standpoint, you know, it is the same as the last time the two teams met up in the Super Bowl. What do we know about Rob Gronkowski's ankle? That looked like a gruesome injury, but he came back in the game, and he says he's fine. Is he really? Well, I guess we have to find out. The one thing that you have when you do have a two-week layoff, just like during the, the regular season when you have the bye weeks, Brian, is you don't get a lot of information in terms of injuries until it's absolutely necessary. Especially from the Pats. And, well, yeah. I mean, you know, some teams are a little more tight-lipped than others, but, uh, you know, I, I find it hard to believe Rob Gronkowski, who, let's see, 17 touchdown catches during the regular season, another rushing touchdown during the regular season, three touchdown catches in the playoff win against Denver, uh, I think he'll be there. I mean, it's only his, his second year. The impression that he has made in two NFL seasons has been tremendous. And, you know, you've got this great matchup of receiving cores. The Patriots do it a different way than the Giants. Uh, Wes Welker, who led the league in catches, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, and let's not forget Deion Branch, 
who, by the way, is a former Super Bowl MVP. Right. Super Bowl 39 when they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, of course, on the other side, the, side, the great story of Victor Cruz, an undrafted free agent, uh, you know, who led the, the team in receiving yards. Um, Hakeem Nix, the former first-round pick who was red hot in the playoffs. Mario Manningham, who had the touchdown grab the other day. Uh, Jake Ballard, the, uh, the tight end who was, uh, you know, filled the void left by Kevin Boss. Um, you know, so this is a totally different receiving core than the Giants had when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl four years ago. Remember, that was Steve Smith, the rookie, and Kevin Boss, the rookie, and Plexico Burris with the touchdown grab to win it, and, of course, David Tyree with the amazing heroics, not only with the great one-handed pin to the helmet catch, but people forget he actually put the Giants ahead 10-7 to with his touchdown catch early in the fourth quarter. Well, isn't it an amazing a few years ago when these two teams met in the Super Bowl how Eli Manning has changed? It was like, okay, you just want Eli not to make any mistakes, manage the offense, hand off to the running backs. Now they're in the Super Bowl because of Eli Manning and his play. He's really grown as an elite quarterback in the NFL. Well, it's kind of symbolized what the season has turned into. You know, the most yards ever thrown uh, in a season by a quarterback to win the Super Bowl is uh, Peyton Manning in 2006. He threw for 4,397 yards. So whoever wins this Super Bowl is going to shatter that, Brian. Of course, Brady threw for 5,235, and Eli threw for 4,933. So um, we're either going to have the first 5,000-yard quarterback uh, to win a Super Bowl or the first 4,900. Uh, but anyway, the game has changed so much this year, and, and – uh, you know, remember that the Patriots set a record that year for the most points scored in a season, and then, of course, were held to 14 in the game. Of course, they also scored another 500-plus this year. And let's not forget, and this kind of gets buried, uh, that the Giants gave up 400 points this season. Okay? This is a 9-7 and team that got outscored by six points, 394-400. Okay? So, um it's not the Giants' defense has been much better. A lot of that is rushing the passer, but it's certainly not foolproof. You saw some holes with Vernon. Davis. Vernon Davis caught three passes last week for 112 yards, and two touchdowns, um, and the Giants still a little susceptible to the run. A lot is predicated on that pass rush. Now, of course, that pass rush was what made life miserable for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl four years ago. They sacked him five times. It's going to have to be probably a similar game where they get to Brady. Uh, forced a turnover. Remember, they did do that in the Super Bowl four years ago. They forced a fumble late in the second half, which turned out to be a big momentum killer uh, for New England. So uh, there are a, a lot of stark similarities here. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you don't often get rivalries to develop from Super Bowls. You know, you have to go back, you know, back to the 70s when the Steelers played the uh, Cowboys in Super Bowl X, uh, Stalbach and Bradshaw and those uh, – uh, great quarterbacks, and then three years later, the rematch. It's it's kind of like that. Um, of course, there was no free agency back then, so there were a lot of more similarities with those teams. But this has turned into a little bit of a healthy rivalry. And also, of course, throwing the fact the whole New York-Boston aspect. These teams play each other annually in the preseason. Um, this one's going to be fun. There's a lot of familiarity here. 
Russell Baxter of ProFootballGuru.com is joining us as he does every week. Yeah, I think the key matchup, and you hit on it, is the offensive line of the Patriots and the defensive pass rush of the Giants. They've been able to get to Tom Brady, not only in the Super Bowl a few years ago, but in the game they played this year in the regular season. And when teams are able to get to Brady and get pressure on him, that's when the Patriots become a little bit more susceptible. Well, listen, a lot of of what they do is predicated um, uh, on what they do with that pass rush. Um, and a lot of what the Patriots do is keeping Brady protected. Um, you know, they, it's not like they don't have a running game. It's not like Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis can't get the job done, but it's not something that they rely on. Although I wouldn't be surprised in this matchup if you saw the Patriots try to run a little more. Um, you know, they did run the ball, I think, 31 times against Baltimore, and they kept Baltimore honest pretty much. And with the Giants' run defense not great, okay, that's one way to attack them. You attack their run defense, you take advantage of their aggressiveness coming upfield, you can maybe pop some spring, uh, some big plays, and uh, even more importantly, if they're defending their run, they're not rushing the passer. And, uh, you know, maybe what happens to the Giants is they get so preoccupied with trying to sack Tom Brady that they leave some big gaping holes, uh, you know, for the Patriots' running game. Last question for you before I let you go. It seems like in the Super Bowl, there's always the unsung hero. There's David Tyree. Last year, there was Jordy Nelson for the Packers. Is there a player on either side that you look at and say, he could be the unsung hero this year? Well, you know, what makes this one so interesting is because these are such two highly publicized teams. Right. Um, you never know. Um, you know, you've got... Uh, you know, Lawrence Tyne, who's become a, a pretty good clutch kicker. Goskowski, their kicker as well. You know, maybe it's, you know, who knows, maybe it's Matthew Slater, who's a you know, Pro Bowl special teams guy for, uh, uh, for, the, um, for the Patriots. Remember, it's not that long ago. The Patriots, when they lost one of their Super Bowls, and of course this is their seventh, you know, when they lost that Super Bowl to the Packers, they, they made Desmond Howard the MVP, who was a kick return. It's the only time we've ever seen that. So, um, you know, if Judging by the way the teams have played this year, it figures to be some sort of a, a shootout. But just judging by the way these teams have also played in the Super Bowl and this year, there's the Giants have the ball late and they're down by three or four um, or whatever they're down by. And given Eli Manning's heroics in the fourth quarter this year, don't bet against the Giant comeback late. All right, that's all the time we have with Russell Baxter of ProFootballGuru.com. Russell, how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Fax Football Guru. Uh, we'll be tweeting daily as we will, and we'll be in the Super Bowl uh, at Indianapolis starting a week from uh, Thursday, um, you know, covering the Super Bowl live. That's excellent. Well, we'll look forward to our conversation with you next week, and I appreciate your time today. You got it, Brian. Take care. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes, 
and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I want to welcome Dan Wilson, former Seattle Mariners catcher, to the show. Wilson appeared in more games as a catcher than any player in Mariners history. He ranks in the club's top 10 in hits, extra base hits, total bases, doubles, runs batted in, and at-bats. Dan, good morning. How are you? Good, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's a pleasure to get to chat with you this morning. A uh, big admirer and fan of your career as a Mariner, and uh, not just for what you did on the baseball field, but you and your wife very involved in the community as well. I tip my hat to you. Well, thank you. It's been, uh, we've been very fortunate to be uh, in Seattle during a great time for baseball and a lot of great teammates, and, and uh, it was just a great you know, a great era sort of of baseball here in Seattle, and we were, we were very fortunate to be a part of that. What did you think when you got that call that you're going to be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame on July 28th with Randy Johnson? Well, I was uh, completely honored, and, and uh, you know, when you, you don't really set out to, to do this kind of thing, and, and uh, to be honored in that way is, is very special. I'm, I'm very grateful to the Mariners for for that and and uh, to be going in with randy uh, a teammate of mine a battery mate of mine um makes it even more special and and uh i'm just glad to to be joining um the group of guys that are in the hall because uh you know great players also but also great people off the field and and uh, that's what's really most important Take us inside the mind of a catcher. You and your pitcher have to be in sync every time out. You are one of the best at being in sync with your pitchers. What are you doing with your pitcher to prep for a game? Well, you know, it is, there's a, there is a lot of prep work. We have to rely a lot on, on the scouting reports that we get and, and uh, you know, they talk about the, the hitters and, and where they like to pitch. And, um, you know, we try to avoid those things. But also you have to kind of you have to go with the pitcher's strength as well. I mean, if, if, if the guy can't hit a slider, but your pitcher doesn't have a slider, you can't throw it. So you got to come up and be creative with ways that, uh, you know, we can get people out. And, and uh, it's really just about communication, talking back and forth, going over the game plan before you go out there and, and then uh, going out there and executing it. And, and I, I were, was, was very fortunate to, to work with some great pitchers that, that made that uh, very, very easy. What about when a pitcher doesn't have it? How do you try and get him, nurse him through the performance? Well, you know, it's it's a great question, and and uh, it's one of the, the tougher things you, you have to do as a catcher, and and really, you know, it's 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 you, you try different things, and and you know, if the guy's best pitch is is not working that day, you've you've got to get creative, and you got to go to your other pitches, but you also got to find time to try to rework that pitch in, so maybe he'll find it in a later inning. So it's just a matter of trial and error, finding the things that you can do, and and then you know, you, you hope your defense can bail you out, and. And uh, a lot of times they do. The, the Safeco Field is a, is a great uh, defensive ballpark. The outfielders can run the ball down, and and uh, they've done that over the years. So um, you know, there's just you just you just trial and error. It's just you try different things, and and uh, you hope to find something that works. Former Mariners catcher Dan Wilson joining me on the show. Randy Johnson has one of the great game faces of any athlete I've ever seen. When he was on the mound, he just looked like he was surly. What was he like on a game day? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's very true. He was a guy that, uh, you know, pitchers are different. Some guys you can talk to on days you pitch, and, and Randy was a guy you, you didn't really want to approach on, on his day. Uh, he just, um, you know, he was kind of locked in from, from the moment he woke up to, to the time he took that mound. And, and uh, you know, you, you could find time to go over the lineup with him and, and talk to him that way. But other than that, he was a guy that, that wanted to win and wanted to win real bad. And, and uh, I think that's what, as players, we really respected about Randy. We took the field for him knowing uh, he was going to do absolutely everything he could to win that ball game. And, and uh, it, was, it was a good feeling playing behind him. Well, and for a guy who throws that hard to pitch for 22 years, he really kept himself in terrific shape, didn't he? Yeah, he did. You know, he was a guy, um, you know, he, he, he was long and lanky, which is what you like for a pitcher. And, and you know, he definitely went through some of his, his struggles with some injuries here and there. But, but really, I mean, when you look at his career and, and uh, over 300 wins and, and the, the, the numbers that he threw up there, uh, really one of the, the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher of our generation. I mean, a guy that, that really uh, had a lot of success, and, and uh, I was very fortunate to, to be a part of that here in Seattle. Uh, but then when he moved on, he, he you know he won I think four Cy Youngs uh, outside of Seattle and and uh, a World Series with with uh, Arizona. So a guy that's that's highly decorated, and and I think this this stop in in Seattle this summer uh, for the Mariner Hall of Fame is just a, a formality and a one stop on his way to Cooperstown because uh, he, he's he's just been he, he's unbelievable. Speaking of Cooperstown, you played on a team that had three likely Hall of Famers, Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., and Alex Rodriguez, but you also played on a team in 2001 that won 116 games without any of those three future Hall of Famers. Which was the better team? <laughs> well, that's a great question. I think you know each team was, was different, and, and uh, uh, I think 2001 really was, was a team, uh, the, 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 sort of the best team that I've been involved with in terms of guys understanding the roles that they had and, and going out and executing those roles every day, I think about guys like Mark McLemore, who, who played a host of positions uh, to give guys days off here and there and, and did that job very, very well. I think of Stan Javier in the outfield who would spell Ichiro or, or some, some of the other outfielders on, on a given day and, and did very well at that. And uh, every guy had a job. Our bullpen was, was phenomenal that year because they had their, their specific role in the bullpen and they were able to go out and, and execute that role. So. I mean, it was just a great team effort from, from day one to, to the finish, and, and uh, it was just a, an incredible season uh, to throw out that many wins, and, and uh, it's a season I'll never forget. What was Ichiro like as a teammate? Some people said that, you know, here's a guy who could hit more home runs if he wanted to. He can really do anything with a baseball bat. Is he the best hitter you've ever played with? He's definitely one of the best hitters I've ever I've ever played with. I mean, uh, what he can do with a bat um, – uh, is pretty phenomenal, and yeah, he can hit home runs. I mean, I, I think in, in batting practice, he he really shows the kind of power he has, and 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 can launch the ball a, a long way. Uh, but I think you know, I think he understands his position as a leadoff hitter and a guy who needs to get on base and and uh, not strike out. So he so he really takes the ball where it's pitched, and um, you know, I, I've seen him get hits off balls that, that nearly bounced, and and uh, he's just unbelievable how he can control the bat and and, and get a base hit few minutes left with Dan Wilson, former Mariners catcher, former Major League Baseball catcher. He's going to be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame on July 28th with Randy Johnson. All right, give me your best Lou Pinella story. And it doesn't have to be at a game. It could be on a bus ride, in a hotel. What's your best Lou Pinella story? Well, I don't know if it's the best one, but but uh, I do remember a, a story. Uh, we, we, uh, we were on a losing streak of, of some nature. I don't remember what, what the exact streak was, but 
we pulled into uh, the hotel uh, in Chicago. We, we landed at O'Hare. We drove to the hotel, and on the way to the hotel, there was a, a just a, a city park that had a softball game going on uh, with, with with some beer league guys. I mean, it was a very casual game, and and I remember Lou saying, "Hey, you know, pull the bus over. Maybe maybe we can beat these guys out here." So, <laughs> um, he he just had some beauties. I mean, you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth, and and uh, he kept us all entertained on a lot of occasions. Yeah, it seems like, you know, as a guy who helps win 116 games, he keeps things loose and uh, always had a pretty good sense of humor about him. Absolutely. He was a guy that uh, was a great manager, and, and I, I, I loved playing for him. A guy who gave me my opportunity in Seattle, and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and uh, he was just uh, one of the best uh, all-time managers that, that, uh, that, that I – I mean, I only played for a few, but he was definitely the, the best. And, and uh, you know, I, I think – uh, he, he wanted to win more than anybody on that field, and, and uh, as players, we respected that. All right. On February 11th, you're going to be in Portland at a University of Portland pilot baseball team fundraiser, the Diamond Dinner. Tickets are $50, $500 for a table of 10. It's a fundraiser, again, for the University of Portland pilots baseball team. How would you get connected with them? Well, I just uh, you know, wanted an opportunity. I've, I've had a couple of teammates that uh, played there, Bill Kruger, uh, who pitched for the Mariners for for a short time, and and then uh, Tom Lampkin, who uh, was was a catching mate of mine uh, for for several years in Seattle, and and uh, so I'm looking forward to coming down there and and uh, uh, you know meeting some of the guys and getting a chance to talk to the team earlier in the day, and and uh, it's just going to be a, a great day, and and uh, encourage people to come on out for the dinner that night. Yeah, and you know you guys have a lot of fans in Portland. A lot of people from Portland for years have made the trek up to Seattle to go watch Mariners games. Yeah, you know, I, I, they've told us for for a lot for you know for a number of years just how uh, regional this team is and and how we pull people from Alaska and from Portland area and and I think it's great. I mean, uh, the, the fans uh, in, in for the, the Mariner fans are 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 outstanding and and uh, you know when i think about the days of the kingdom and how loud it got and and just the support we've received over the years from the fans uh we're very very grateful for that and and uh, looking forward to coming down and, and meeting some of those fans in portland last question before i let you go what are you doing in retirement to stay busy well you know uh, we've we've got my wife and i have four children so so they're they're keeping us pretty yeah, busy I bet. And, and i'm helping to uh, coach them a little bit here and there with some of their athletics and and uh, be doing a little broadcasting with the team this year um, and and uh, so I'm looking forward to um, uh, just uh, being around home as much as I can, but but also helping out uh, with baseball wherever I can. And and uh, it's it's all gone very smoothly so far. Well, Dan, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you. Uh, good luck with everything, and congratulations again on being inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame on July 28th. And uh, let's catch up again soon. All right, Brian, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. I was walking with a friend of mine. And I still remember how she was It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. 
It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Joining me on the phone right now is Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. We're going to talk some hot stove. Maury, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me. So I got to tell you, I was pretty surprised when I saw Detroit and Prince Fielder made a deal. Uh, I didn't see that one coming, did you? No, none of us did. I mean, it caught the media completely by surprise. Most everybody had thought that on Tuesday he was going to wind up going to the Nationals and then bang, Dave Dombrowski jumps out and gets this deal going with Scott Boris. The next thing you know, Prince Fielder's a Detroit Tiger. Do we have any idea what the next closest bid on Fielder was? Because he signed for nine years, 214, and gosh, I would have a hard time believing that there was anyone within $30 million of that. Yeah, and I mean, the money may be the issue. I think that years were probably something that the Nationals may have been able to do, but I don't think the money was there. And look, you know, Mike Illich, who owns not only the Tigers, but he owns the Red Wings, and he's, you know, little little Caesar's Pizza. I mean, there's a lot of money floating around with him, and his wife owns a casino. You know, they've got a lot of money floating around, and they've been very interested in winning now. He said, we're interested in winning right now. They had Victor Martinez go down, who was their number two power hitter, you know, I think that all played into everything, and it just, I think, uh, lines up for them right now. I mean, they're paying a lot of money to four guys. They've got Verlander. You're paying 152 to Miggy, uh, Miguel Cabrera. You're paying $50 million to Vmart, who won't even play this year, Victor Martinez, and now 214 to Prince Fielder. This better work. Yeah, and it has to work. I mean, it is that right now kind of thing. And, and I mean, it is a gamble. I mean, let, let's be honest. Look, you might be able to move it. Nobody has seen the actual structure of the deal yet. Um, you know, we just have the total numbers. It could be that it's set up to where, you know, it escalates to the end or it may be what they call front-loaded, where there's more money in the front of the contract. Either way, they may try and make it flexible to where they could possibly move him later on or certainly the situation with Victor Martinez. Part of that is going to be consumed with insurance that they took out on him, and he becomes now a guy that they would likely be able to move later on down the line. Yeah, actually, the details of the Prince Fielder contract have come out according to Associated Press. He's going to have it. It's front-loaded. It's, you know, $23 million for the first two years and then $27 million a year for the remaining years. So he's getting a lot of money up front as opposed to uh, Albert Pujols, who's getting backloaded. Yeah, so if that is the case, and I hadn't seen that yet, Brian, if that is the case, I mean, really, you know, that win right now thing, you know, it's, it's Robin Paul to pay Peter. It's a very dangerous thing to do. But, I mean, that's the kind of price that you have to pay to get into this kind of thing right now in baseball. It's very surprising. The money is always eye-popping, right? But for me, and I've said this before, the years in some of these deals are the thing that I think are really staggering right now. You're starting to get into nine, ten, more years if you put service contracts at the end, like pools, it's still 20 years at the end of it. By the time, you know, after he retires another ten years, it's a lot of money and a lot of time. There were some uh, reports that the Dodgers were going to try and get in on Prince Fielder, but uh, they didn't want to give him you know, as many years as Detroit did. Well, I mean, I, I look at this right now. I guess you know Frank McCourt must be drinking straight shots or something because the only way for this thing to happen, the only way that the Dodgers, I think, can do this is if they think if Frank McCourt goes, you know what, I'm not going to be saddled with this money. We're going to have new owners coming in in April. We'll let them defer that and take care of that. And it would certainly help. I mean, they need to do something right now. 
Um, getting that that club turned around is job number one for Bud Selig in the league right now, and I think that it happens in short time. What did you think of the Michael Pineda from the Mariners to the Yankees deal? I know Montero is uh, a really good prospect that the Yankees traded, but uh, boy, Pineda had a historic season last year. He's a flamethrower. He'll be the number two guy for the Yankees. I think the Mariners gave him away. Well, you know, you could argue that it was a pretty much a straight-up deal in some ways if you're saying prospect for prospect. And look, Brian, this is the thing with the Mariners right now. They seem to be straddling the fence. And one, you know, I, you're sitting there with basically $19 million going to Felix Hernandez. Ichiro is a free agent next year. You've got to figure out some way to either blow it up or build it. And they're in this mode right now where they were talking about getting Prince Fielder. And, you know, who knows how much they were really serious about that in terms of the money. But that was a deal. That trade was a way for them to get some power at the plate without having to basically fork over a whole lot of money in years for a player that wouldn't have a supporting cast for a while. So in some senses, you know, it works for both sides. The Mariners clearly need to get something rolling here within the next year or two. I mean, they they're really they need to blow it up or do something about it. Yeah, I mean, they're a few players away from being a Triple A baseball team in my mind. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at them right now. I mean, certainly Felix Hernandez doesn't fall into there, neither does Ichiro. But you know, they they do need to try and work on some pieces. They've they've got some you know decent pitching, I think. You know, or they did. And that's the question that we're going to have. You know, when are they going to start to get serious about it? You've got a minority partner, the number two owner in the club going through a divorce and is about ready to probably have to exit the organization due to, you know, having to pay this divorce settlement. So they're really in a difficult situation right now. Maury Brown from the biz at baseball.com is joining us. All right. Looking at the offseason thus far, which team, in your opinion, has helped themselves the most? Well, I mean, the interesting thing right now, it's hard not to focus on what's going on with the Angels and and the Rangers. You could probably make a case in some senses that in the here and now, the Angels probably did themselves the best. Um, they, they certainly brought in pool holes, and if he performs, you know, at those levels that we have seen him perform at the past, it's a huge improvement for them. They brought in C.J. Wilson, which will help them, you know, off the mound as well. So they look much better, and they're going to be – the interesting thing is – the Rangers, once again, are going at it. And I wrote about this for Baseball Prospectus this week. The, the AL West is turning into the AL East, and in that I mean you have the Yankees and the Red Sox and the amount of money coming in through television and other revenue streams, and you're starting to see that um, going on with the Angels and the Rangers. We're going to be seeing that over the next few years. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, it is very interesting to watch. You uh, Darvish, the Rangers gave him a lot of money. He's unproven at the Major League Baseball level. Do you think that works out? Well, it works out, you know, and I won't get too heavily into the technical side, but there was basically what they call a posting fee of over $51 million just in the, for the right to negotiate him with him. People are going, oh, my gosh, just that much money to talk to him. But that money will be easily deferred as a, just a flat write-off plus – in talking to executives at very high levels of the organization that's been involved with them before, they believe that they will make up that incrementally with new sponsorship from Japan that will right. come in. Now, his, the, with his contract itself, it'll be interesting to see. They're very high, and John Daniels loved them. You know, it's it's a very much a gamble. A lot of people talk about how Dice K went belly up, but that was largely tied to the injuries that he incurred to his back during the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, it's very possible that Darvish could be, you know, a star in this thing. But once again, like you said, you got a guy that has no major league experience, getting a whole lot of money, and it's a, it's a gamble. 
What about Tampa Bay, the Rays? Matt Moore is going to join their rotation on a full-time basis. He was dominant when he came up to the big club last year. They've got a real nice pitching rotation. They bring back Carlos Pena. Could they be a dark horse? Well, they're always a dark horse in my mind, Brian. I mean, as organizations go, there's two of them that I think have really bright people. The Rays are one of them. The Brewers is another, although they've certainly been bit right now. Um, but I watch them real closely. I mean, they're very smart people there. They do it on a shoestring. They're always somebody to watch. I mean, you know, you could say that the the Yankees and the Red Sox certainly aren't, you know, making a mad dash for it this year. They're watching, you know, pennies this year, if you can believe that. Um, you know, so there's certainly the opportunity for another team, certainly them or the the Toronto Blue Jays, to make a run in the AL East this year. Last question for you. What's the deal with the Mets? We know they've slashed their payroll and they're going through their ownership woes. Uh, what's going on there? Well, they're about ready to sell $20 million stakes, a very small incremental stake. It's like less than 4% to a number of people to try and stem the flow of this red ink. They've been hit with attendance. And then Sterling Equity, who is basically the ownership of the Mets, are involved with the Bernie Madoff scandal. And the trustee for the Madoff victims is basically going after them, saying that they actually profited in the midst of this. There's going to be a court case. They're going to try and make a determination as to how much those damages can really be, and they're going to limit that. But they're really in bad shape. They're having to take loans out to basically take care of um, this debt that they had with Bank of America. They took a loan out from the league that's behind schedule and getting paid back. And they are in real serious trouble where we see some light at the end of the tunnel for the Dodgers. The Mets is the dark uh, cloud kind of hanging over baseball now. Well, the only good thing in my mind about Bud Selig sticking around for two more years is he's got to clean up the messes with the Dodgers and the Mets now. So uh, he helped make those messes. Now he gets to clean them up. Maury Brown from TheBizAtBaseball.com. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, We'll chat again soon. Okay, Brian, take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Maury. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back, and for the Super Bowl, you may not know this, but the players on each team have incentive besides just wanting to be Super Bowl champion. They've got financial incentive. In the very first Super Bowl, Super Bowl one, Green Bay played Kansas City, and Green Bay beat Kansas City 35-10. to The game was in Los Angeles. Each Green Bay player got $15,000 for the victory as a bonus. 
Each player on Kansas City, the losing team, got $7,500. Griggs, when the Giants and Patriots match up, the winning team, each player on the team, will get $88,000. Each player on the losing team will get $44,000. And again, when you compare this to what they make overall, you know, it's shopping money, it's a trip for the family, maybe it's uh, money towards the kids' education, whatever it may be. It's not like it's huge money, but it really has grown from that first Super Bowl when it was 15000 and 7500 Yeah, that is that is crazy. You see how much the, the times change when you look at figures like that where it's like, you know, that wasn't terribly long ago, and, you know, it's, it's a big difference from 88000 to, you know, what you said? What was it? Fifteen thousand? Uh, yeah, eighty-eight thousand yeah. to fifteen thousand, yeah. and, and uh, forty-four thousand seventy-five hundred for the losing team in the very first Super Bowl. Yeah, that's crazy. But uh, you know, incentives are good, and it, it keeps the the athletes happy, and it keeps them drive it driven. And you know, they should. They've played a, a long season, and here they are at the big game. So yeah, I agree. And we'll take a look at some of the ads next week. That's always one of our favorite things to do is look back on the ads during Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Advertisers this year are paying around $3 million for a 30-second spot. NBC has sold out their inventory, so we'll talk about that next week on the show. I want to thank Russell Baxter from ProFootballGuru.com. Dan Wilson, former Major League Baseball catcher, played for the Seattle Mariners. He'll be inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame on July 28th with Randy Johnson and Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. Our podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. The new and improved podcast, more content for you every week. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.